Bangarang Radio, Bangarang Radio, BangarangRadio.com. I'm going out, I gotta go, I'll Bangarang on the radio, so turn it up, I'm telling you, I think I'm ready for something new. Hey, hello, it's nice to meet ya, hey, come in and have a slice of pizza. Pop Punk and Pizza with Jacques L'Amour. Hello there. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, good whatever time of the day it is that you're listening to this podcast. It's afternoon for me right now as uh, I'm recording this and talking to you. Hope you had a great weekend. Um, This past Sunday, September 20th, was actually a pretty special day for you and I uh, because it was on that day in 2016 that the very first episode of Pop Punk and Pizza premiered on bangerangradio.com with my bandmates from uh, The Projection, Jeremy Marisi. Now, you guys have been here with me through the ups and downs of this podcast and my personal life, and words just cannot express how much your support means to me. You know, I've met so many amazing artists and have talked to several of my musical heroes while doing this podcast, and actually some of the guests have become good friends of mine, as uh, well as listeners too, so I'm extremely grateful to have all of you for giving me some of your time and considering, you know, how this year started for me personally, it really and truly is a miracle that I'm still here with you today, and I will not forget that. Um, the beginning of, of this year, I announced that I was taking a hiatus from the podcast, and I wasn't sure when I was going to return. My mental health was in the worst shape that it had ever been, and I had planned at least taking a complete year off from the podcast. Then the pandemic hit, the whole music industry just crumbled in a matter of weeks. And I don't know, I I just felt this urge, this resurgence, even though it had only been a month or two at that point on my break. Um, And I just, I don't know what it was. I was like, I got to it's like, I got to start doing this again. Just, I, I just said, fuck it. You know, I'm, I'm feeling better. I'm not 100%, but I'm feeling better. I want to get back at it. And honestly, ever since I got back at the podcast, things have never been better. And I really have you to thank for that. There's been so many amazing people to support this podcast or, or have been a part of it in a, a tiny, tiny way or in a big way. And I'm just grateful for every single one of you. So I I really hope you know how much you mean to me and how thankful I am that this podcast is still going through those up and downs. So, you know, thank you. I I just can't, I know I'm a broken record at this point, but I I just, I have to say it. Thank you. I, I, I really love you for being here. You know, we're all in this together and I really hope there will be four more years and beyond that of, of you and I doing Pop Punk and Pizza together. So um, cheers to that, right? So my guest on today's episode is Mike Henneberger. I think his last name is pronounced Henneberger. We actually didn't really talk about that during the podcast. I really uh, wanted to ask him that question, and I, and I completely forgot. Uh, but Mike 
He's an Emmy Award-winning producer with credits from Comedy Central, Rolling Stone, Billboard, and others, who has written a mixtape memoir about his crumbling mental health. So the book is entitled Rock Bottom at the Renaissance, an emo kid's journey through falling in and out of love in and with New York City. A long title, but a very good one. Now, in the book, Mike takes us through pieces of a mental breakdown that he went through, uh, and uh, while incorporating songs that got him through those tough times and, you know, saved his life, so to speak. So Mike first reached out to me on Instagram in May of this year, telling me about his book and asking me if he could mail me a copy. And I was intrigued by the concept of his book being a mixtape memoir because I had never heard of anything called a mixtape memoir before. So I thought, yeah, sure. Like, how could I refuse that, right? So the book arrived at my house not too long after that conversation on Instagram, and I opened up the front cover to find a personal written message from Mike written inside. And uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and read it to you right now because it, uh, it was simple, but it, it touched me in a, in a, in a good way. Uh, it goes, hi, Jacques. I really appreciate you checking this out. Hopefully you won't find it too relatable, but there may be some similarities between me and you when it comes to music and mental health. I also appreciate you being open about stuff you've dealt with, and I think that really helps others feel like they're not alone in their darkness, and that's what I uh, want to do with this book. Really looking forward to uh, hearing what you think, and if you think it's worth chatting about on your podcast, thanks. And then he signed it. And I just thought that was such a, a, a nice kind little message to write and I thought yeah this is totally relatable I mean so much of the music that has been played on this podcast or has been talked about on this podcast is about mental health right and there is it's always a great time to talk about it especially this month with being a suicide I think it's suicide prevention month right or mental health awareness month so this is the the perfect time to have Mike on to talk about his book. So uh, the message meant a lot to me that he wrote in there, so I made a point to read it, and I actually did find it very relatable, not all of it, but some of it. And also the concept of incorporating songs from bands like Bayside and Dashboard Confessional and Dangerous Summer was very different to me, and I thought that was really cool. So without further ado, here's Mike Henneberger explaining how his mixtape memoir came about. I like your shirt. <laughs> Sam? <clears throat> Wait, which one? Oh well, I was refer. I mean, I like both of them. I was talking about the No Effect shirt, though. I should have, should have mentioned. I was like, oh yeah, he's wearing two shirts, isn't he? I'm in Nashville right now. I don't know if I told you that or Gabby or Gabriella told you that. Well, but... I saw I saw that online that you were in Nashville. Oh yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. Uh, 
So I got my, uh, actually that's, I wear this all the time. So <laughs> it does look very, uh, the, the other shirt you're wearing over, does look very yeah. Nashville, but I'm, you're also from Texas. So yeah, I was going to say that I'm from Texas. Like <laughs> I actually wear, I love wearing like Pearl snap button ups. I love pearl snaps too. I, I think it comes from my grandfather because he oh, always, yeah. yeah, he always wore pearl snaps and like the nice. west, the western style yeah. shirts. Probably just from being a farmer, you know. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, so. I was really hoping that while I'm here in Nashville, I could find some like thrift store that just has a hundred of them. But uh, I haven't had a minute, man, since I've been here. So, so you're trying to get. Uh, artists to sign some stuff yeah are we i guess are we recording already yeah <clears throat> okay cool um yeah. <clears throat> yeah so i um had this idea that and it's just kind of the way that i've always thought about stuff since i i first started working in like my like air quote career of like digital production and i learned to that and I mean, this is in the last 10 years. Like I learned that there's just no single way to do things. And so like, I'm putting out a book, but even from the beginning, this was never about putting out a book. It's about like what the book's about, but anytime I do anything, I always think about all the other different ways to like enhance that experience. And, and so I'm currently producing the audiobook, which I don't know if the press release went out yet, but I just approved it an hour ago. Um, Tyler Posey is reading the audiobook, um, <clears throat> and so that's getting announced today. And so once the audiobook drops, I, I want to try to do a live stream concert with like some of the bands that I mentioned in the book. Um, but I also want to do a an online auction. Um, to raise some money for the charities that I'm donating royalties from my book and audiobook to. Um, and so I have these, I printed a bunch of limited edition posters for my book um, when I had an Indiegogo to launch it. And I have a bunch of those posters left over. And so I'm getting those signed by people in the bands that I mentioned in the book. And I'm getting copies of the book signed by those people too. So I can auction those off um, either when we do the live stream thing or when the audiobook drops. Basically, I just kind of want to have more things going on with it, you know? <clears throat> and, and in the last couple of weeks, like the more I talk about this book and the more I like um, see people in like Facebook groups talk about it and stuff like that, because uh, I'm in a lot of like pop punk and emo and Facebook groups. Right, of um, course. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course, like every other 38-year-old 30, man. <laughs> well, uh -huh. you're, you're trying to get the word out about your book. I mean, just like yeah. how you connected with me on Instagram, you know, same yeah. thing. I but mean, also, like, I mean, I truly am a fan of this stuff. And, and that's kind of part of it, too, is that, like, I knew at some point I was going to have to get the word out about this book. But I wanted to – I mean, I'm part of this community. I have been for 20 years, you know. And so, like, I, I wanted people – at least to know that about me if we're in these groups together to know that I didn't just pop in there to sell a book, you know, like this is who I am and it's where I come from. And so like I'm in Bayside Facebook groups and wonder years, Facebook groups. Cause I'm actually a fan of those bands and I'll talk to those. I'll 
chime in on conversations there that have nothing to do with my book. Um, but uh, the more I see people talk about the book, um, it's become like this thing that like we don't have shows to go to right now. And I've, I've seen people talk about it in a way that like they're gathering on Facebook groups and like somebody will ran some random stranger. I don't know. will post, Hey, have you, I got this ad on Facebook. Have you guys seen this? And um, they'll say like, it has like a chapter about Bayside and then 30 strangers will talk about it, you know? And it's, if to me, it's like going to a show and seeing a band that you like, and we can't do that right now. We don't have a way to, to like gather with our community <clears throat> and um, and this book is doing that right now. And so like, it's always been not about me. I mean, the book is literally about me, but I don't want it to be about me because it's just as much about anybody else who's experienced, you know, depression or anxiety or even just heartbreak or feeling lonely. And so I want it to be about everybody, but also about the music that's in it, you know? And so <clears throat> I've, I've, for the longest time, I've been trying to get the book to these bands so they know about it. And I've gotten a lot of support from them and a, a lot of like great feedback from them. And so I left New York City on Sunday morning after getting a rapid COVID test and testing negative because I don't want to get any of my heroes sick. <laughs> right. Um, and Josh from Juliana Theory met me outside of Pittsburgh and signed a bunch of posters and signed a bunch of books. Um, well, flashback to three weeks ago, I went out to Los Angeles to work with Tyler on the audiobook stuff and shoot some videos with him. And Nick and Chris from Bayside live out in Orange County. So they met up with me and signed a bunch of posters and a bunch of books. Then Josh met me in Pittsburgh, signed that stuff. Then on my way down from Pittsburgh, I stopped at Jack's place from Jack from Bayside and Jack signed everything. And then yesterday I met up with uh, Matt Hoops from Reliant K. He signed everything. Um, last week before I left, I had a Zoom with Chris Caraba from Dashboard Confessional. And, you know, we talked about the book. I asked him if he'd be interested in signing stuff. So earlier today, I met up with Chris Caraba and he signed a bunch of posters about my book or like of my book and he signed a bunch <laughs> of copies of my book. And um, on my way out to meet Chris, Anthony Ranieri from Bayside texted me and was like, hey man, I'll be home for the next two hours if you can make it. And I was like, I'm gonna make it, you know? Um, and so I left Chris's house and went straight to Anthony's house. And so now like all the Bayside guys have signed these posters and signed these books. Um, yeah, and so, uh, and then after, probably right after this podcast, I'm going to get in my car, leave Nashville, and drive to Richmond, Virginia, so uh, the um, the guys in Dangerous Summer can sign the stuff, and then it's back to New York for me. So, it's been a crazy couple of days. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> it's almost like you <sighs> could, it'd be, uh, it'd be cool if uh, there was like a little behind the scenes video on on all of your little trips here of getting yeah. all this stuff signed like a little behind the scenes thing that'd be cool no i know i've i've been trying like you said you saw on instagram like i've been trying to like update my instagram story but it's also just me on the road so like right I, you don't you know, i'm yeah. driving and stuff but also i've been the worst about taking pictures of of these guys signing stuff like i i start having a conversation with them and then i'm just talking to them while they're signing 
And I don't, like, I have no pictures of anybody except Chris Caraba. And that's only because, like, he finished what he was doing and, like, walked away and was like, oh, hey, we should take a picture. Uh, I, so, like, <laughs> I have a picture with him. And well, I have at a picture of him signing stuff. Yeah, at yeah. least you got one, you know. Yeah. That, yeah. That's better than none. Yeah. But um, that's I got to so, try to remember that, though. Right. That's so badass, man. So this stuff is going to be auctioned off soon. And I, I know I saw on Facebook what, organizations you were going to be donating to um which which are those that this auction is going to be going to so through september and october i'll be donating 50 percent of the royalties to um and the auction stuff to the the continuance foundation which is an awesome new organization um that is based out of la and is helping uh, provide mental health services to full-time touring and studio musicians. So like therapy sessions, you know, meditation, um, services and, you know, all kinds of stuff that's, that's actually helping them. You know, it's not just like resources pointing them to where they can find help. Maybe if they keep looking, they're actually providing services to musicians. And that's super important to me because, you know, we see so many, you know, musicians struggle with drug and alcohol abuse, which normally stems from not necessarily mental illness, but things that, you know, if you could talk out and get a little better guidance on, um, but, you know, we see suicides all the time in, in the art, in the arts world. Um, and so it's important to like actually get them the get them the help, you know, um, and it'll also be going to Hope for the Day, which is a great organization that, um, you know, amplifies the conversation about mental illness and suicide prevention. So people aren't afraid to talk about it. And that's exactly what this book is to me. It's putting, it's, it's putting this whole period of my life or this like small period of my life out into the world. So hopefully some people will feel more comfortable talking about their issues and knowing that there's nothing wrong with experiencing depression or anxiety or loneliness or, you know, none of us should be embarrassed by it or feel ashamed. And um, so, yeah, I want to, I want to donate to both of those um, organizations to keep that going. And I mean, that aligns so well with your book. What's terrible that I have to admit right now is I still am not finished with it, even though it's not a long book or anything. It's just like, it's so hard to squeeze in the time to read just because of my oh, crazy sure. schedule, but I've got like 40 pages left. So I'm, right. I'm like almost there. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I keep telling people like, I'm not much of a reader myself. And um, I've, I have a stack of not just books I want to read, but books that my friends have written and published that yeah. I need, that I need to read for them, you know? Um, and, uh, but no, I mean, I, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm right there with you. There's just so little time for, <laughs> anything right but like through the whole book so far like i like seriously every time you say okay i gotta pop another xanax or i gotta you know i'm gonna have another scotch i'm like dude i'm worried about this fucking guy like what's going on like you know uh yeah no it was it's definitely you know you're not wrong there like i i mean i I almost died at that time. And there's like three times in the book where I've almost died from just being careless, you know, with abusing drugs and alcohol. 
And um, yeah, luckily I'm, I'm still here. And I mean, hopefully, you know, people like that's, that's why it's important for me to do these podcasts and like talk about the book. It's not to get book sales. Like I don't, I don't make, I make barely anything off this book. Um, like that's not the point. The point is, is to show people that I'm here, I'm still here and I feel way more mentally healthy because of the work I put in doing the right things to be mentally healthy. Whereas back then I was doing all the wrong things to just kind of feel something different, you know, and amazing things are happening for me now. And I'm, I mean, I've been married for five years as of a couple of weeks ago and you know, my wife is awesome and she's exactly what I was looking for in the book. And you know, that's all stuff that came together when I started taking my health more seriously. You know, it's important to do that. Oh, de- definitely. Uh, congratulations once again on uh, your, your fifth anniversary. Um, so, yeah, let's let's dive into the book a little bit more then. Yeah. Um, so Rock Bottom at the Renaissance, an emo kid's journey through falling in and out of love uh, in and with New York City. What I love about the title is that it just like it's like a mirror of 2000s emo post hardcore with long ass titles because yeah. there's so many bands from the 2000s era that had really long album names or or really long song names or their band name was long and that was just like a trend and I I love how this book almost just like does the same thing with the title. I wish I, I could say that's what I was going for. <laughs> um, but uh, so like... I'm and, not saying it's a bad title, by the no, way. No, no, just... no, I know. And, and look, here's the thing is like someone pointed that out to me a while back and and I, I want to start claiming that's what I was going for. Um, but uh, <laughs> but I because like it is, I, I feel like it's a little cheesy, but when you go and look back at like Mayday Parade song titles or Panic at the Disco song titles, they're pretty cheesy. Um, or it's like, it's a little much. Um, but, uh, but like, I was just trying to make my book easier to be found on Amazon. So I like threw an emo there and I threw in New York City and I threw in like all these keywords. So, okay. you know, people could make it, could find it more easily. Cause if you search Renaissance, you're not gonna find my book probably. I don't know, maybe you're going to find all kinds of things with a Renaissance. I yeah, mean, exactly. It's a pretty broad spectrum. Yeah. You know? So, uh, so that was my goal with that. But, uh, but no, I'm, I'm glad that that's actually, like I, I say all the time, like I, I take away new things from uh, the conversations I have about the book. And that's one of them. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm glad. And maybe that was some kind of subconscious thing too, you know, like it's very possible. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, um, you you decided that it, it was it was time to write this this memoir about your experiences with mental health and with love um depression and so when you came up with that idea you're like okay I'm going to do this uh, how did the the mixtape part come in because I've never heard of a mixtape memoir at all I I didn't know if like you happen to stumble across other people that have done that? This is the only oh. one that I know of. Um, so no, I had been calling it that for a while. And then I can't remember who else, like recently in, in the beginning, like in the beginning of this year, I feel like um, 
I read somewhere that somebody called something a mixtape memoir and I was like, oh, I got to get my book out because I, like, I, I want to coin that. Um, I, I never heard that before. But, um, but no, it happened just like it happens in the book. Like the first chapter, you know, this, there's, it's this scene of me like leaving work and on my way to the hotel and Jimmy Eat World's 23 from their album Features comes on, you know, like my shuffle. And so um, I say in that chapter, like, this song isn't relevant to the situation happening right now, but I always find a way to make songs relevant to what's going on in my life. And so when you read the first chapter, Jimmy World's 23 lyrics pop up every now and then through it because that song was playing when that happened, you know? And so when I got to the hotel and started writing this, um, that's just how that came out. And then, you know, the next chapter is Bayside and the next chapter is Dangerous Summer. And those are songs, those are bands that are kind of always playing in the background of my life. Um, and that particular weekend that I was in that hotel was a very dark and sad and depressing weekend. And those are the bands I listen to when I'm dark and sad and depressed. And so the Dangerous Summer is just always something like they're the band I always like every year they're the top band I've listened to you know on Spotify and so like they're just they just automatically get associated with what's going on in my life um and I was definitely listening to them a lot at that point um and then there's chapters in the book like um like uh the two-door cinema club chapter you know which is takes place at a two-door cinema club concert you know and then there's some like flashback stories to two-door cinema club so there's some like that where it's like the music plays a different part or actually plays a part in the chapter but then there are some chapters where the music doesn't at all it's just there as a soundtrack and so i don't know it just kind of came it came together that way because of that you know the second i started writing the jimmy world song was in my head you know, about because it was playing during that experience, and then it kind of just came together that way. So the songs actually were were coming about while you were writing it. It wasn't like you wrote the book and then you like placed them through. Well, some yeah. So some, some, some of them, them like some you did. Yeah, like the definitely like so the the hotel scenes in the book, which like every other chapter, there's like present day in the hotel and in New York City, and then there are flashbacks to past relationships, stuff right. like that. Um, so um, all the present day stuff was written that weekend. Some of the flashbacks were written that weekend. Um, and so like, yeah, like the Dangerous Summer stuff was a realization I came to when I talked to AJ from the Dangerous Summer about the book. That like, all the, there's three Dangerous Summer chapters and they all take place in the present at the hotel because they're my go-to music when I, am in the darkest of moods, you know? And so they were playing while I was at that hotel. Um, and then, you know, there are, there's like a chapter where um, the smoking, it's like chapter five, it's like the smoking Pope's Megan song. And that is about a girl named Megan, you know? And then we go to, we go out to karaoke and then Dashboard Confessional pops up because we sang Dashboard Confessional and, you know, Lisa Loeb pops up because we sang, she sang Lisa Loeb, you know, um, who, by the way, uh, cleared stay for use on the audiobook. So, That's like, awesome. 
when you listen, I'm, I'm working on licensing all the music. So the actual right. songs will be in the audiobook. And I have permission to put Lisa Loeb's stay in my audiobook. That's a pretty big deal. That's honestly. a huge deal. That's, that's awesome, man. Congratulations. Like, I obviously like listen to all these other bands more. I can't name another Lisa Loeb song, mm-hmm. but that song, I get to use that in my audiobook. That's right. insane yeah. to me. I, that yeah. was that was a big that was a big song. Yeah. Um, um you know. Yeah, it's so like that's the thing, is like the music plays different roles, you know. It's like sometimes it was actually playing in these moments. And then it's like the last chapter. Well, I don't wanna spoil anything, but it's set to the Wonder Years, I just wanna sell out my funeral, which should be pretty obvious that like that's just the perfect song for that last chapter mm-hmm. and that last chapter is written in kind of like you know trying to not spoil it but <laughs> yeah because uh, i'm almost a, there but it's a yeah it's a very weird headspace so there was no like there's no thinking about oh this will go well here this will go well here that okay. was definitely like after the fact of like every other chapter has a song with it so what goes with this definitely and you know but it's also it also comes from like listening to the wonder years and that song meaning something to me like i didn't go searching for the right song for that it was more like i heard that song and i was like oh this song needs to go with that chapter you know Mm -hmm. yeah because of the connection so like none of it is like manufactured even to like even in a sense where like i had to find a song to go with it that song like found its way to that chapter yeah it just kind of like oh this is you know yeah this this is perfect yeah yeah that's something i was wondering as i was reading this whole thing i'm like did he like comb through the chapters afterwards and was like i need a song here (laughs) which one which one's gonna go you know and and that's like and like yeah like there's a chapter about like uh with um another flashback to a previous relationship to alkaline trios sorry about that yes which is just the perfect song for that relationship it was a girl who had broken up with her boyfriend and probably the whole root of the reason we didn't work out was because like i just wanted to be with her right away and i didn't give her the time to like get past that heartbreak and so, I mean, there are other reasons that didn't work out, which you can read about in the book. <laughs> I, I, read, I, read, I literally just read that last night. Okay, cool. So, yeah. But the song fits so well. You know, the lyrics are maybe, I, um, if I hadn't set aside the fact that you were brokenhearted, maybe you might be here with me, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was, it, yeah. It's so like, as shitty as she was to me, I am, you know, mature enough when I wrote this book to realize that I played a role in that relationship failure too, by not, by like just being so selfish, I needed her now, you know, and not giving her a chance to, you know, so that song was just so perfect for that. Um, But yeah, but I wouldn't have like had to do that if most of the book hadn't already come together so easily with songs. And so, yeah, there are some that were picked out like that. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I did enjoy uh, I did enjoy that story just because I felt like I could relate to that one. I've totally been like that where it's just oh, yeah. it's about um, more about oh I just need to find you know you're always talking about the <laughs> yeah. girl in your book um, and so in that moment you're just like well I've got everything else in place I just need the girl and it's yeah. almost like well there's one right there let's just yeah let's just do that even though like. 
yeah, this is probably a bad idea, but <laughs> yeah, and I did not learn from my mistakes at all in this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you have by now. Some, uh, yeah. <laughs> some of yeah, them. Yeah, I did eventually. Um, what uh, what I was not expecting when I was first getting into the the beginning of the book was I was not expecting to see ska band written anywhere in this book. Just because you know it, it's talking about being an emo kid and and being in a ska band usually is not associated with being an emo kid and the fact that you were in a ska band i love ska music so oh, I was yeah like, yeah i was like oh this is really cool in fact like a lot of this podcast i've had a lot of different people from ska bands on the podcast so yeah. like it's almost like ska and, and pop punk go hand in hand on this well, see podcast, i have to so. i have to disagree with you with the separation of ska and emo because i feel like all the ska kids became emo kids. Oh no, no, no. That's that's completely true. You're right. <laughs> I mean, because I know when like cuz I have an older bro- my brother is 4 years older than me okay. and he's the one that got me into, you know, punk rock and ska yeah. and and all that stuff. So he got me into it right before, you know, the big surge of post-hardcore and emo. Um and when that happened, like he and everyone else that was full deep in ska, like they just moved on. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, so. and, and it's funny because so I played in a Christian ska band. I was the singer of a Christian ska band for okay. five years. Um, what was the 90- name of the band? It was called Glue. So from 97 to 2002. Um, and it was right at the height of all that when like, you know, Christian ska bands were like ska and and punk were pretty big in the Christian world. <clears throat> and I mean, MXPX was breaking in the late nineties. Um, it's and, sorry to interrupt you for a minute. Uh-huh. My, the first CD I ever bought was Orange County Supertones. So, oh, wow. I mean, you know, that's, that's, awesome. that's Christian. That's awesome. That's Christian ska right there yeah. for you. you <laughs> actually, actually the, so do you mean, uh, their first CD because I feel like their, their, third their CD... second their second record was the first CD that I ever bought okay. as a so that was super as an individual. Back? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Because <laughs> I found, in fact, the whole way I got into punk and ska was through Christian punk and ska. Um, like I, I mean, like my the most the most I did because mm-hmm. like I had of course heard it from my skater friends and stuff, but then. Sure. Um, I went to this like arcade. There was this like late night arcade in Corpus Christi um, called, I want to say it was called Exhilarate, like XLR8 in Flower Bluff uh, for <laughs> those of my friends who are who will listen to this. Um, and this, it was like a, you walked in there and it would be opened like 10 p.m., like late, you know, past 10 or whatever. And it was where like all the like skaters and like punks would go. It was just like a, it wasn't like a, like a gangster kind of like, like gnarly place, but it was like a punk and skater, skater kind of gnarly place. Mm-hmm. And they had this like shoebox next to the register that just had a stack of CDs out of cases. And I found the Supertones first CD there in a band <laughs> called 90 Pound Wuss. Yeah, you know? I remember them. So wow. They were on Chief and Nail Records and yeah. they were like a thrash punk, Christian thrash punk band. Um, and I just bought those CDs. It was like, like two bucks each or whatever. And 
Um, but the first CD I ever bought was Teenage Politics from okay. MXPX. Nice. So yeah, I just got like into all that stuff. Um, and yeah, that's like the deepest I got into ska and punk back then was because of finding Christian ska and punk. Um, but yeah, I was a singer in a Christian ska band for five years and um, none of us knew how to play any instruments. And about three years into that band, or two and a half, about halfway through that band, um, we all started listening to like Saves the Day and, you know, Newfound Glory and Alkaline Trio. And so like, there's some videos on my Facebook from the last show of my, my air quote ska band. And we were not ska at all. Like we, they, we had songs that just sounded like hot rod circuit with horns or like, um, which is really cool. Um, I'm still very proud of like the last songs we wrote, but uh, yeah, man, like it, it, it was such an easy bridge to go from ska to emo. Yeah. I don't know. It's still so weird to me how that, how that worked for not only you, but for so many, so yeah. many people at that time. It's just, I, I, I don't know. I guess it was just, I don't know if it was because that's what was becoming popular or if that, if, if it just happened that way, but I think maybe I mean, it was just because like we, we had Scott taken away from us, you know, like one minute it was on MTV and then the next minute it was gone. And I yeah. think it's because swing killed it. Um, like swing had its moment and then like that chased Scott away. But, uh, but then like emo popped up and and it was like the thing that it was like ska in that, you know, people who love like normal mainstream shit weren't listening to it. Yeah. And it was, it was something different and that was still kind of on the fringe. So mm -hmm. maybe like, you know, ska wasn't as there for us anymore and emo popped up. So I think it was, it yeah, no, I, 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 I get what you're saying. I, <laughs> I can, you know, I can definitely, uh, I can definitely see that. Um, so in your book, you also like you you've I feel like you've lived so many different lives and you kind of talk about that in your book. Uh, one thing I was interested to, to learn or possibly hear more about is your experience in the army. Um, that sounded super yeah. interesting because you didn't get super far into that. And you're like, I think you actually said in your book, like I could write a whole book on that. Yeah. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, is that like. I was only in the army for a year because I got diagnosed with major depressive disorder and anxiety disorder when I was in the army. And I was on my way out on a medical discharge. And, um, I had been getting in a, not a lot of trouble, but I got in trouble a couple of times because of like the shape I was in, like the, the like mental state I was in, I was drinking a lot and I got in trouble a couple of times for drinking or like, but also I joined when I was 25 and had already been living on my own since I was 18. And like, there's nothing the military hates more than like a person who can think for themselves. Um, and that's what I was. And it did not go well for me. <laughs> um, so like my superiors, you know, the whole thing about the military that they say is like, they break you down so they can build you back up the way they need you to be. And I was just harder to be broken down because of living on my own for so long and thinking for myself and having, you know, like two and a half years of college. And, um, you know, I wasn't an 18 year old kid straight out of high school. So they had to work a lot harder to break me down and that got to me. And, um, so one, once, uh, one day I was, I was working 
Um, I'd gotten in trouble and when you get in trouble, they put you on extra duty, which means like when everybody can leave the barracks, you can't, you got to stay there and clean shit or whatever. And this guy had gotten out of a psych ward. This other guy who was in my uh, company had gotten out of a psych ward and was in his barracks room and everybody else had left the barracks except for me. And he came downstairs where I was and he was just bleeding from his wrists and he had cut his wrists. Um, and he was bleeding very severely. And um, I called my first sergeant who was like in the offices, you know, um, off to like the office wing or whatever. And we, I took my, my uniform top off and we wrapped his arm so to like control the bleeding. And he, we called the ambulance, he survived and then had to go live in a psych ward till he got out of the army. But because I was on extra duty, and this is after I got back from a 30 day, like rehab slash like um, mental health place that I went to for uh, just so, cause I told my, my, my psychiatrist in the army was like, what do we have to do to make sure you don't kill yourself? And I said, I'm pretty sure I'm not gonna kill myself. And he said, pretty sure is not good enough. And I said, oh, I just need to get out of this situation here because that's what's breaking me. And he said, we have this 30 day facility in Texas you can go to, um, you know, it's a, it's a dual diagnosis thing for people who are addicts, but also for people who just need psych psychiatric help. Um, and I said, great, send me there. And so I went there for 30 days and when I came back, like a week later, this guy did this and they thought it was a good idea to have me clean his room after he, it looked like a scene from Dexter. Like there was blood on the walls. I had to throw his mattress out cause it was soaked in blood. I was picking up straight razors off the ground. Um, there's just blood everywhere. And I was somebody who just went to a 30 day facility for depression and anxiety. And so I took a bunch of pictures of that and um, put it on my Facebook page for my friends and family to see. I didn't like publicize it. I didn't, you know, make it public. I just, my friends and family knew what I was going through. And the thing is, is that a lot of people find it really hard to believe that this happens here in America. Like people don't find it hard to believe that people get PTSD from going to war, sure. Or people commit suicide when they're in Afghanistan, sure. But it happens a lot here. I, I want to say I was just looking at this, the stats for this because I, I look at it every year. Every year, the military puts out a, a report about suicides. Mm -hmm. And it's very triggering to me. So it's hard for me to look at it. Um, but uh, it's something like there's a huge percentage, something like 40% of suicide attempts in the military are people who have not even had deployment experience. And so it happens a lot just here in the United States. And, um, and so I posted these pictures on my Facebook so my friends and family could have a better understanding of what I was going through. And within 24 hours, the command of Fort Meade, Maryland found out about it. <laughs> so like the people who run the base, Fort Meade, Maryland, found out about it. And it, of course, got mad at the guy who runs my my company, my company commander. And so shit rolls downhill and he got mad at me and stopped me from getting a medical discharge 
um, and just gave me a general discharge, which didn't really affect much. Like he wanted it to, he told me his direct quote, which I'll never forget was Henneberger. I don't think you deserve a damn thing. Like when I got out, he didn't want me to get any benefits. And so he tried to take that away from me, but didn't really succeed. Uh, so yeah, that's my experience in the army in a nutshell. Um, and so like, I could definitely write a book about it, but as I say in my book, like it's, there's a lot of, I mean, I don't say this in the book, but there's a lot of nuance to it just because it's hard to find empathy from people, um, which isn't like what I'm going for, but in order for me to, um, prove the points or like make people realize the problems you have to have empathy or interest in it. And it's hard to get that when people are like, you weren't even in Afghanistan or like you didn't even get deployed or you were only in for a year. And so it's, it's, it's so nuanced. Like there's, it's a hard story to tell and I don't even know where to start because what I do mention in the book is that story is so important to me to tell it right because I want it to change things. I want it. I want people to know that this is happening here. And I want people to know that we don't just have to take care of our veterans when they get out of the military. We need to take care of these people right now, this second, because that's how they become the 22 veterans a day who kill themselves. It's because they get fucked up in the military when they're in there. And so it's just such an important story for me to tell. And uh, thanks for asking that question. No one else has. And I'm glad I got the opportunity to talk about it. No, no. Thanks for for talking about it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been open about it generally. um, But uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely important for me to like, you know, talk about it. And I just don't know if I, if I'm there yet to where I can tell it right, you know? Mm-hmm. Of course, but I, I'm sure someday you'll you'll find a way to 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 tell that story and, and yeah. get that message across. I couldn't agree with you more, man. Like it's not just the the people that are are going to war or even just going overseas somewhere. It's yeah. it can happen anywhere at any time, peacetime, wartime, United States or not. Yeah. I mean. You know, it's just, uh, it's such a strange, messed up system. Yeah. When, it, when, it, I, it, I, I know you, I don't have to tell you that, but it's yeah. just. Well, no, and, and look, I, I always tell people too, that like, I, I am not bad mouthing the military because it does a lot of good for a lot of people. Right. It wasn't good for me. I have so many friends that I was in there with who it's doing great things for them. You know, they have much better lives now than they probably would have you know, if they hadn't gotten in there. And so like, that's great. It's good for a lot of people, but I think people also need to understand that the people it's not good for, it's really, it can be really bad for to like life or death really bad, you know? Yeah. And because of, yeah, like suicides and, and there's just a lot of drug abuse too. And yeah, I mean, like I write in the book, like I, I probably did more drugs in the military or I abused more drugs in the military than I did probably any other time in my life. Yeah. Definitely drank more alcohol in mm-hmm. the military. Right. Yeah. And that's like a, that's like a stereotype, I think, isn't it? Of the military, yeah. big drinkers. Yeah. And know. yeah. And, and like, 
like my dad was in the Navy for 20 plus years. And so I grew up in Navy towns and like, I'm familiar with, you know, military people. And, um, and like, the crazy thing is that when I would tell my dad about the shitty things that were going on there, he would just say like, Oh yeah, that's what it was like when I was in there. But like, he was in there like 20 years earlier, like 15 years earlier. And like, he was in there from like, 1969 or 70 through like 92 so like i shouldn't be talking to him in 2009 and him saying oh yeah it's exactly like it was in 94 you know mm-hmm. <laughs> it'd be a little different yeah know? oh yeah definitely and <laughs> and hopefully it's you know hopefully it's changed a little bit by now yeah but yeah I, I but that's the thing that's what i'm saying is like if it didn't change for like if my dad was saying like 15 years after he got out that it was still the same. Yeah. I don't know what's, what makes it change, you know? Yeah. True. Very true. My gosh. Yeah. That's a whole nother, I know that's a yeah. whole nother topic, but I was just, but to when make I it first... rele- here, let me, yeah. I'll, I'll bring it back around to make it relevant. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I started this charity called zero platoon a few years ago for this reasons, because exactly like the book, um, I knew how much music helped me in coping with, you know, depression or, you know, any time I was feeling down in life, I knew what, um, you know, going to shows gave me, it gave me that sense of community out being with the people who loved that. Like I did feeling the, you know, the lyrics from bands that like helped me get through stuff. And so I started this charity called zero platoon to work with these bands that are like autographing my stuff right now to like shoot videos, to talk about how music has helped them get through stuff and to shoot like acoustic videos and to talk about, to like break down songs, talk about how they turned a bad feeling into something creative. And so that's kind of where, um, like I started Zero Platoon after I wrote this book or after I started this book, but that's just always been my goal since I got out of the military. I've been very self-aware of my mental health things and how music has helped me get through them. And so since 2009, I've been working very hard on just kind of directing all my energy into pushing that message of how music can save your life. And Zero Platoon does that for the military. Like I, I, it's been kind of on the back burner for a little bit because of the book, but uh, you know, I've taken bands to play at military hospitals actually I went out on tour in 2015 with some bands and took Rocky Votolato to play at that 30 day facility that I was in, in 2009. And like, I got to take an artist there to play for those people, those, you know, military members who were dealing with depression and anxiety. Um, And that's just like what, you know, that's what this book is about too, is just like showing how music can, save your life and you know you don't have to write a book or write a song but if you just like think about you can turn this pain into into anything you know and that can keep you going yeah i feel like the i i can when when i've been reading this book and you you put the you know the lyrics here and there throughout the chapters and such um I can I can see how it it really shows that how those songs 
helped you in that moment you know so it's really it's really cool that you were able to you know put those two things together and and kind of showcase how it really did help you get through you know bayside and and you know two doors cinema club and all, all those yeah you know really helped you get through this this time yeah yeah and so. i mean i like you know i i compare it to like old bayside records and old dangerous summer records that you know can get kind of dark but you know those guys survived those times and gave us albums you know and right. so that's just kind of how I see this book that like, it's actually when I, I saw Anthony earlier today, I told him the same thing. I told AJ from the dangerous summer, like if I could play guitar, this would have been an album, but <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can't, yeah. I was just right. a lead singer. So, right. um, so I, I'm a writer, so it just, it, it's, it's a book. You know? Right. And, and to speak, and your background as a writer, um, from just a little bit, I've, I've done research, on you online i mean you've written for quite a few well-known media outlets well actually like i i've been a video producer so i'm i've I've been working in music journalism for 15 years which started out as a writer in print and in a magazine my brother and i started out it started in texas um but as you know the times have changed it's like i was saying with the book earlier you know i learned I've always known how to like adapt with times and like make thing enhance an experience, you know? So as times were changing and things were, you know, getting more on the web, I became a photographer and I started shooting video so I could have like video elements for my stories and like, and photos and stuff. So I got into, I started working in video, you know, also like over 10 years ago, but uh, yeah, I worked at Rolling Stone as a video producer and I worked at Billboard um, as a video producer too, where I produced, um, you know, a ton of videos for Billboard and Spin. Um, and uh, yeah, so I've worked for a lot of these like huge music media outlets, which were dreams of mine to work for, but I was I was doing video production for them. So, okay. I mean... I like I was still interviewing bands. It was just on video. You know? Okay, for some reason I thought it was writing. Yeah, I guess I yeah. assumed it was writing because of the <laughs> because of the book. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I mean that that obviously kind of sets things up for um, for this book and and to show you know where you come from um, you know and obviously starting out in a ska band <laughs> yeah and then you know coming full circle. So, um, it's, uh, it's really, I, I'm really happy. Thank you for sending this to me, by the way. Yeah. And, oh, I'm uh, glad. thanks the, for checking it out. And the little message, uh, you know, you wrote in the, uh, the, the first page there, that was, uh, that was nice. So, cool. um, I, I truly, uh, appreciate that and I've been able to relate to it and I'm glad that, you know, get, get the word out about the book to the, the rest of the world. Um, yeah. so we, we talked about, we kind of, you kind of teased about the audio book. I mean, yeah. so that's in production or it's finishing production or, it's, I mean, what are the, the dates on, if there's any, I, I wasn't sure like how far along you were with that or the auction slash live, uh, show you were talking yeah, about. Yeah. So it is, um, it's still in production. Um, it's fully recorded. So Tyler, has recorded the whole thing. Um, 
my buddy Kevin Dye, who's in a band called Gates, which is an amazing band. Um, they were on, I don't know if they're still on Pure Noise, but they were on Pure Noise. Um, did a bunch of dates with Thrice, and they're just one of the most amazingly like talented bands out there. Um, so everyone should go listen to Gates. Um, they're gonna drop some new music very soon. But Kevin is also a producer, a music producer. Um, and so he has been um, mixing the audiobook. And oh, cool. um, yeah, so he's, um, I was up till two in the morning this morning sending time codes to him to finish it up. Um, and there were two more things that Tyler had to pick up and like re-record. So um, it's still in production in that sense, but it's mostly done. Although because I'm putting the music in it, I have to license all the music. And right. I would say 75% of the music is cleared. Still waiting for Jimmy World stuff to clear. Uh, their management has approved it, but um, their management's approved it, but uh, I'm waiting for their publisher to approve it. Um, let's see. Death Cab for Cutie also needs to be cleared. Bright Eyes needs to be cleared. Uh, but The Dangerous Summer, three songs are cleared. Three songs from Bayside are cleared. Mayday Parade songs cleared. The Wonder Years songs cleared. Um, Lisa Loeb's Stay is cleared. <laughs> Um, Which is probably the one you thought would be the hardest, right? Actually, here's the thing is there's a Taylor Swift song that I reference in there. Yes. Um, which most likely will not be in there. No, because you don't you don't really you don't put out the lyrics and everything like you do with the other songs. You just well, no, I guess maybe so, you do a little bit. I, I know so, you, you mention it. I think you have an old copy. Do I have an old copy? Uh, which is like not like there's probably like three things different in it. I'm pretty sure you do have an old copy. Uh, but it's yeah. Only... You sent me this months ago, so yeah. I mean, um, I've since put the lyrics in it, which I might take out. Oh, okay. I, I don't think I need to worry about that. Um, actually, I know I don't need to worry about it because it's a nonfiction book. I credit all the quotes. I'm right. not worried about the paperback and the ebook. Um, I have a recording of it with the song edited in, but I think ultimately I'm going to have to produce it without the Taylor Swift song because only because like there's a lot of there's a lot of like issue right now with her and her old record label and yeah, they sold her catalog a, to yes whoever's Scooter Braun or whatever um and so like she has to wait a certain amount she she's not approving any clearances because she doesn't want other people making money off her music um if she's not going to own it so she's gonna gotta wait a certain period of time and then she's gonna re-record it all um, I'd like to, this is why everybody needs to like buy this book. So it gets so huge that Taylor Swift wants to be a part of it. <laughs> right. Um, and she'll let me put her song in this book. Um, but yeah, so maybe Chris Carabo will love it enough that he can reach out to her. I think they, he knows her. Probably. I um, mean, Chris, he most... played like, he played like her friend's birthday party and she like, she was there there's a good video online of it <laughs> yeah i i remember there being some connection but i couldn't yeah. remember exactly what it was um but it, the thing is is her song is not an is not super necessary in that in that storytelling yeah um i of course would love to have it in there and it's one of my favorite songs period um but uh but yeah if it can't be in there that's fine it's not going to really change the book um i mean for the worse but uh but yeah, so that, and then 
the cure is just like heaven is in there too for one line. Um, and, um, but the thing is, man, is that like what I've come to find, I had to learn about music licensing. I didn't know shit about it. And I'm, I'm doing this all myself. Like this is completely self-published and self-produced. I had to learn, I have to email with BMG. I have to email with universal music group. It's fucking scary and like weird. Um, and I had to learn it all myself. And, but the thing that I've learned also is that like, a lot of the times the bands have nothing to do with this, you know? Yeah. It's so weird. And it, you know, and the thing, it varies per artist. Yeah. And that's that's what's so messed up about it. Yeah. It's really unfortunate because like, obviously the, the music that is included in this, it's included because it means so much to me. And I really want the bands to like benefit from that, which, you know, some of them will, because, you know, I've gotten messages from people about, how they love the dangerous summer now they look them up because of the book you know mm-hmm. um and the bayside songs that are in there are old bayside songs and um and so like there will be benefits but i i want I, I love for the bands to know that you know that they're in there because of what they've done you know for me um but like all the bayside songs i use in there are from their victory records albums and so like Victory Records doesn't even exist anymore. Like that, they got sold to Concord Music Publishing, which is just a company that owns a bunch of record catalogs, you know. And so, but they've been awesome. Like I emailed them, and they they cleared everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like they also own Fearless Catalog. Okay. Like, wow. Yeah. That's... So, like some of these bands just and and especially like when you talk about a Cure song that's for, like thirty years old that's on like Capitol records or something, I think, or like, but it's a universal music group. Mm-hmm. Like those are, there's tens of thousands of songs in universal music group, you know? Yes. So like, it's all just a transaction to those people and it's, that's sucks. But, but I mean, I haven't run into any issues. Like I, everybody's been super, you know, helpful as much as they can be. And, and yeah, like it's, it's been great. Like, I'm I'm almost there and the ones that I don't have cleared yet I'm at least in like the conversations about it. So I'm I'm confident that I mean I'm hopeful and yeah. Yeah, well good for you man doing all that uh extra work. Yeah, it's such a weird such a weird world the whole licensing publisher. Yeah. Like I still don't understand it, you know. It's I, I only know like this much about it and yeah, that's about it. But like yeah. you said, like, you know, you think this person owns the catalog, but they don't. It's this other person that yeah. bought it. And, you know, like I remember in what it was like the last five years, The Offspring, they sold their catalog to someone. I don't know really? if you remember that. Yeah. No. For like millions. And it was wow. a bit, it was a big deal because it was such a big transaction and obviously did they did they do it themselves they i think oh, they did i hope so if, that's great if if, if i if i'm rem- remembering correctly yeah. like they sold off their catalog to someone for a big price yeah and well they, i mean good for them if it was on their terms and they got I what they think, wanted out of it like that's great. i, I want to say it was them and not like their label yeah. or labels so you know yeah because like i mean there's a lot of like stuff out there about the taylor swift thing and like whether she's telling the whole truth or they're telling the whole truth but like what what's out there is that her label said 
will give you ownership of your music album for album. So it's when you produce one new album for us, we'll give you one of your old albums, which is really fucked up. Like it is. Yeah. You know, and she like, and she said like, I would have paid any amount of money to get my album to own my work. Right. And, but the only, but apparently the story that's out there, I don't know what's true. The story that's out there is that the only way they would do it was if she gave them a new album for one of her old albums. It's like, it's such a fucking like that's so horrible to like mess it, with somebody like that. It, you know? Yeah, it really is. You know, I I wonder what the the like, and you know, we may never know like the actual real yeah. details behind that and who is actually yeah. responsible. You know, but, yeah, but the, I mean, the the sickening thing about it is that like you're treating somebody like they're not a person. You know, right. and like they're just like a, a commodity like an asset that your company owns. And that was why it was so important for me to like come to Nashville and talk to Bayside and talk to Chris Caraba and talk to these people. It had absolutely nothing to do with like me being a fan and I want to meet these people. I've met them before plenty of times. Like I did music journalism forever and I've, I've known Anthony from Bayside for like, I booked Bayside in 2003 in Texas and I always talk to him whenever I see him, you know, like at least mm-hmm. once a year at a show. So like, I, I, it wasn't about like me getting to like talk to these guys. I want them to know that I have all the respect in the world for them. And I would hate for them to like find this book later and think like, Oh, this guy's using my work, you know, or like referencing my work and then have them think that I think of them as just like, of song a song you know or an album like these people are people to me and i want them to i want to see them face to face and let them know that the reason their songs are in there because of my respect for them you know this is a tribute to them Mm -hmm. that's good yeah i i completely agree you're definitely definitely doing it the right way man and and you would know after Thanks. working <laughs> after working in music journalism for so long you would definitely know so yeah. Yeah. you know the ins and outs of that but i mean uh, i i know a little bit i don't know if there's a you know there's so many different things about it but right for me like it doesn't even matter like where i worked like i told anthony today that like in 20 years of being in this in this world or this industry in different ways I've never thought of it differently. Like this book is exactly, I, the way I feel about this book is, is exactly how I felt about records when I was 16. You know, it, it's it, like when I discovered a band or a record when I was 16 and it made me feel something, I would want to show it to everybody. That's why my brother and I started a magazine. It's just so we could write about bands and tell people about the bands we loved. That's what I'm doing with this book. Like. Mm-hmm it's 20 years later, man. And like, I, I still think that way. Like there's nothing is ever going to, I I don't know what could change me. Like I've worked at Rolling Stone. I worked at Billboard and I, you know, those places turned out to not be the dreams that I thought they were because I, I will never change from this. And those places are still very like traditional corporate places. And so it broke my heart working at places like that and seeing that it wasn't about passion and it wasn't about the love of music. God, that killed me, man. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to turn that off. So like, I didn't work at either of those places that long, you yeah. know? Right. And, it didn't last because it wasn't about yeah, passion. Like, it was so much more than that. And so know? now like I have another like soul sucking day job, but I get to do this 
But because of that job, I get to do what I'm doing with my book, which is allowing me to put my passion into, into it, you know, yeah. that's never going to change in me. I, or it would have by now. Right. And yeah. So like, that's, that's what this is all about for me. Awesome, man. Well, I'm excited for you. I'm glad things are going well for Thanks, uh, rock bottom at the Renaissance, of course. And, uh, I'm glad glad you reached out and yeah no and, thanks uh, for having me dude it's, yeah, it's of course you know, you've interviewed so many great you know bands and stuff and i i'm thank you honored to be on on the list now thank you yeah me too man i'm honored to have you here cool. um so where can people currently buy the book and just yeah. or just get more information so the best thing to do is follow my social media stuff um which is just a burger joint and that's a b e r g e r like my last name so a burger joint, all one word on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, that's the easiest, like I'm on Facebook and Instagram more, but uh, I'll put stuff out there. Um, the website is rockbottombook.com. Um, you can order the book there if you want, but uh, you can order it on Amazon. There's eBooks on Amazon. The eBook is anywhere you get eBooks. So if you're on Google play, you know, Apple books, whatever, you'll find the eBook out there. The paperbacks, barnesandnoble.com, Amazon. The audiobook, um, definitely Audible and iTunes once that drops. But that's what I say. Just go to the social media stuff and you'll I'll keep you updated. That's also where I'm gonna like tell people about the auction and and live stream stuff once that comes comes together. Sweet. Yeah, I can't wait to uh can't wait to watch that. Thanks, so, man. Yeah, looking forward to see how that unfolds. So Yeah, me too. <laughs> awesome. Well, best of luck. If there's anything else I can help you with, just let me know, man. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. And uh, safe travels to All right. Vir- yeah. Virginia. Uh, Is that where you said you're going uh, next? Yeah. Richmond? Did you I'm say probably, Richmond? Yeah, I think it's like a nine-hour drive. Yeah. But I, I think I'm only going to do half of it because I have a lot of work to do. And so I'll probably mm-hmm. jump in a hotel and just do that work too yeah all right man well yeah be safe out there all right so i'll uh talk to you soon all right see ya all right thanks mike thank you to mike henneberger for being my guest today and opening up about his mental health struggles with me. As you know, and as I know, it's really not an easy thing to talk about, especially when he started telling his story about the Army. Uh, so I'm, I'm just really grateful for him sharing that, that with me and, and you today. Now, if you want to buy a copy of Rock Bottom at the Renaissance, or you want to get more info on some of those cool auction items that Mike was talking about, go to rockbottombook.com. Dot com, or you can follow him, as he mentioned, A Burger Joint on Facebook or Instagram. And burger is spelt like his last name, so B-E-R-G-E-R. A Burger Joint on Facebook and on Instagram. So that's today's episode of Pop Punk and Pizza. I'm Jacques Lamour, your host. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as I enjoyed being here with you today. You can stay up to date on everything related to the podcast by following Pop Punk Pizza Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also follow me on my personal Twitter at OnAirWithJL. 
Music submissions, interview inquiries, general questions can be directed to bangerangradio at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and give me a review as well, if you can. And if you want to further support the podcast, please buy something from our merch store, which is bangerangradio.com forward slash merch. And make sure at checkout you use that promo code POPPUNK for $2 off your order. There's hoodies, there's t-shirts, face masks, coffee mugs, and more. So go check out bangerangradio.com forward slash merch today. And I'm sure you'll be able to find something that you like. So the next episode of the podcast is going to be dropping this Wednesday, or not this Wednesday, this Thursday, September 24th, with Chicago pop punkers Fluorescence, who just dropped a brand new EP called Dead End Conversations. And I highly suggest giving it a listen and then joining us uh, for the podcast on Thursday. So you can find Dead End Conversations literally wherever you listen to music. Again, thank you for the love and support of Pop Punk and Pizza these past four years. And here's to several more. I love you. Cheers. Hey, hello, it's nice to meet you. Hey, come in and have a slice of pizza.